Well, hello and uh, welcome to another exciting uh, edition of uh, Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that tries to tackle some of the big issues of the day from a Christian perspective with a nice mixture of apologetics, philosophy, theology, banter and uh, other adjectives are available. I'm Andy Manister and I'm joined as ever uh, by my effervescent co-hosts, uh, Michael Otts and, uh, and Aaron uh, Edwards. How are you uh, gents doing today? We, we're good, thank you. I'm just noticing, Andy, in your intro there, you almost drifted into kind of air steward mode, uh, you know, kind of going air through steward, the kind of, what, is, is what we air say, steward. and then it kind of goes through it. We should probably have our kind of, yeah, this is where the, oh, safety, of course, this is where the exits are, if you are triggered by anything we say, that kind anything of thing. we say, yes, if this podcast lands in water, uh, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> I'm very excited I get to go to York on the weekend and I get to do some uh, mission down there and I'm very excited that after all my friends who I'm staying with texted me today to say after we've done the university event on Saturday do you want to come out with me and some mates for a geeky board games uh night so I like I don't know about you I love a I love a good board game do you guys love it has a board, to be a geeky. Board game what what qualifies as a geeky board game that's a that is a good question what does qualify as a geeky board game maybe it's the, the way that you play I think it's the I, um, esoteric nature of the board game isn't it it's like how how like off the beaten track they are or something yes my favorite board game growing up and still is is risk uh mm. you know because world domination is my um is, is is my thing but that got me thinking about because today's episode we want to talk about there is a link there is a tenuous link we're waiting for it well the link is like risk is interesting because we wanted to do an episode where we talk about the fact that i think we live in this very risk averse age uh, right, right now we're not we're not good at balancing risk and of course in risk the board game you know, that game is all about risk, right? If you've played the game, you know, if you want to invade another country, you know, you count up how many little armies have you got in your country? How many armies are there in the country next door? Maybe you've got seven armies, maybe they've got four, you know, on balance, I can work out the probabilities. I've got a good chance that I can win and see roll the dice and see what happens. But in today's world, we seem to have forgotten how to manage risk. We kind of wrap our kids up in, in cotton wool, you know, we, we, we plaster everything in yellow hazard, Tape. I was going for a walk in the in, a, in some woods the other day, and there was a there was a, a log falling across a stream. As a, you know, as a kid, you want to scamper across that, and there was literally a health and safety notice saying danger, do not climb on the log. And I was like, this is insane. And then, of course, with COVID, we've had this too, mm. haven't we? That I think there's been an awful lot of we have to remove every possible risk. So I guess the the first question that'd be great to bat around for a few minutes. Am I overrigging things here? Have, have I just um, overdoing it, or have we actually become a culture? that is increasingly nervous about any form of risk and sees risk as a thing to remove. Mm. Yeah, I, that's a good, good point, Andy. Um, I, I see Michael's chewing, so I'll... Uh, chewing <laughs> a mint. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, Don't choke in. on that. You know, it's dangerous to chew. <laughs> that's sweet. true. Hang on, that's I, right. do, not, do not chew the chewy sweet. I don't say. think they put a risk aversion warning on it, so I, I need to check. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny, actually, I, I, always, I always find it funny. You know, when you buy a pair of trainers and it has that little sachet silica gel mm. oh yes i remember when i was a child and, and you know when you when you don't you know you're a young child and you don't really have much access to like buying stuff yourself and like a little sachet i used to think it was like oh maybe it's like those free little things you'd get in a crisp packet that like you have something in it but i'd, I'd be excited to think this is like a free little prize when i got my shoes they just say throw away do not eat and you're kind of like okay what, what is this for then? <laughs> it's just this thing that's just there. I think apparently I learned later it's to, uh, I guess, keep them fresh, isn't it? But nonetheless, all the, only the only thing you should do is not eat it and throw it away. It was kind of a bizarre, mm. bizarre thing to give you. But I, I do think you're on to something, Andy. I think we uh, we've discussed this already in in 
many other ways, haven't we? Uh, the, the, the fact that the regulations, we're, we're in a bureaucratic culture, which does like to systematize things in, in, in particular ways. And the reason why you, I mean, I've, I've done some research on bureaucracy, partly because when you're an academic, um, you face bureaucracy to gargantuan levels. Um, you Often many academics complain that they're not actually able to do the stuff that they're trained to do, that they're supposed to be doing, like reading books, thinking thoughts and writing and, and discussing these ideas. Often you're having to end up filling forms to show that you could be doing all those things um, if someone was checking on you. And so there's the, almost like the fear of um, not doing the things you're supposed to be doing drives you to not do the things you're supposed to be doing in order to prove that you're doing those things when, when it stops you doing them in the first place. If any of that sentence makes sense, I'll be very impressed <laughs> later on. But basically, we had, the forms end up um, yeah, blasting over the processes that, that they're supposed to kind of cover. And I think that tells you something. If that's happening in the academic sphere, it's obviously happening within government, um, at significant levels with the, the civil service, things like this. Like It just happens. It's part of um, the sort of pathology of Western culture that we become more controlling syst systemically. We try to control things via systems because we're worried about individuals sort of making haphazard decisions here or there that don't uh, kind of feed into the whole. And so part of that, that's part of one of the issues that we live in that wider bureaucratic culture. And then things like crises like COVID obviously exacerbate that, that kind of fear of what could go wrong if someone made the decision for themselves. Oh no, this would be terrible. Let's make the decision for them at, at a central level so that there aren't any individual decisions made because otherwise all hell would obviously break loose. And that's, you know, th that's a real fallacy of the culture we live in. So therefore we try to limit it, which is why, Andy, you get to the place where you're you know, your, your son is not able to stand on a log without uh, signing a disclaimer and, you know, and paying for insurance before he stands on said log. Uh, otherwise, people are worried about what could happen. So there's loads of other issues in there. I mean, there's so much to say on this. I, I can talk all day about bureaucracy, but I'll let, I'll let Michael jump in. It'd be a risk. So it's funny because just, just the other day, I was uh, speaking at a church and I talked about this in one of my talks, actually, about, um, you know, we're living in a culture that's uh, become somewhat risk averse. And someone in the car park came up to me afterwards and said, see that tree over there? I said, oh, yeah. They said, um, you see how all the bottom branches have been chopped off? It's because someone a few weeks ago climbed up on the branches and then fell off and injured themselves. So now they've had to chop off all the branches from the tree to stop anyone ever trying to climb it again. And I was thinking, you know, case in point. I mean, I guess partly, like, rewinding, thinking, why do we live in a risk-averse culture? Partly, I think it's... Um, an aversion to getting sued particularly yeah, perhaps, yeah. um, in, in in america um so we want to protect ourselves um from from that happening but even when that's not potentially going to happen um like it's it seems to have kind of then just infiltrated the kind of dna of our culture um this idea that we can remove all risk and on, on one level it sounds great doesn't it it's like you know who wouldn't yeah, like who doesn't want to remove risk like you know who, who doesn't want to you know make things safer uh, but actually it's what you also lose in the process yeah um as if you can just remove all risk and not lose anything else at the same time yeah uh, as if it's a zero-sum game and i think yeah. it's starting to realize actually you know the idea of weighing up risk or, or weighing up counter risks um, doesn't seem to sometimes come into it. Yeah. The weighing up is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I was thinking about this in the context of, of parenting, uh, because obviously, you know, Aaron and I have children, not together. I just stress, I'd be careful how I phrase that. We're not one of those kind of liberal progressive podcasts. We have, we are married to 
various women, different women, <laughs> various women, worse and worse Anyway, we have kids, and uh, I have two. And every time I go visit Aaron, they've had more. I think you've got six or seven or eight, isn't it? There's the last, and and Michael has yet to have children, but we pray every day. We're working um, on that. So, yeah. We're working on that exactly. There's a show there on a podcast to come mm-hmm. on that. But parenting is interesting because you have to do a lot of thinking about risk. And I confess, when I, you know, was a, a sort of learning the parenting thing i was probably a very risk averse parent i was quite nervous about you know any kind of freedom for my kids and then you know watching quite a few other sort of families <laughs> and influence on ours and then in particular you know uh, last year or so reading an amazing book called uh, free range parenting by an american kind of author and it's interesting she opens that book with the story of um you know she'd uh, gone into the center of new york with her 10 year old kind of left him at a big department store with the money to get home and a couple of brief instructions and then said, i'll see you at home and uh and then happened to mention this on a radio interview she was doing and she got she got labeled america's worst mother because she dared uh-huh. to let her son ride the metro i mean she said he was fine he turned up 90 minutes later exactly where he where he should have done it was great he felt a great huge confidence boost and actually now with our kids, you know, we've done a thing where like my six-year-old, we let him roam the neighborhood. We set limits. We've got very strict limits, about a quarter of a mile uh, sort of range of where he can go. But he can go and see his friends. He can go to the store if he wants to. If he's got any pocket money and stuff. And I know some parents locally, we were friends of ours, got to raise their eyebrows. Like, well, well, really? You know, aren't you afraid of him being kidnapped? And I'm like, have you actually seen the statistics on child abduction? I think there's some amazing stat that we would have to let Christopher roam the neighborhood for something like 250,000 hours before there was a greater than average probability something bad would happen. And in fact, most kids doing bad stuff happens. It's someone they know or in the in the home, actually, if you look at stats on, on when st- bad stuff happens to kids. But in our heads, of course, the media, you know, whenever, whenever a child goes missing, there's headlines for weeks and parents get the message, the safest thing I can do, the best thing for my kid is to it's a lot long way. So parenting, I think, is where I was re- really had my eyes opened to this. Because in certainly the last year or two, I've gone from I think being very mm. risk averse to going, hang on a minute, I'm I'm getting the probabilities wrong here. Mm. It's interesting on that. I think I may have mentioned the book before, but in the coddling of the American mind, Jonathan Haidt, um, the American psychologist, talks about this irony that actually in America, where he's writing, the chances of child um, the abduction of children, you know, statistically is far, far lower than it's ever been. And yet the fear of that among parents is far higher than mm-hmm. it's ever been. And then the kind of knock on implications for that kind of protection uh, mm-hmm. that is in place. And so one of the things he brings out is saying, actually, we've become this risk averse kind of safetyism is, is the phrase that he, mm-hmm. he uses. Um, and actually, one of the things he's saying as a psychologist is this is detrimental to our children's upbringing because we're not enabling them to weigh up risks, to be able to learn what is a sensible amount of risk to take um, and and actually creating an environment where they can learn how to, to operate as, as human beings. Um, and he says you start to see the knock on implications of that when you get people going to university leaving home yeah. and they're not developed in the way that people would have been developed yeah. before now um, yeah. and so you have this kind of like environment where we now need safe spaces we talk about microaggressions and everything else because we we think that the world can be perfectly safe yeah um, when it can't it's 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 a, it's a loss of robustness isn't it in terms of the preparation the training that's required the parenting especially um, needs to and needs to understand. And I think one of the issues of becoming, like I said earlier, the centralization, bureaucratizing of society is like the state handles more stuff. 
at that level. So, so parents are almost encouraged to pass their children on to the state, not only in education, but also in moral formation and other things. So, so it, that, that kind of loss of household authority is, is a significant problem there as well. Um, and it does stop the sort of, you know, as I said, the, 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 the kind of robusting of, uh, of, of children when they're, when they're being brought up. They're not, it's actually risky. You know, like the irony is it's risky to be risk averse because you're, you're taking a huge risk to, to, by not uh, preparing your child in advance because eventually they're going to um, be come unstuck in some way in, in, when they're kind of engaged with the world. And even if you try to closet them away forever, you would never be able to do that. I mean, it's some, some way it would creep in and it would be really detrimental. We see it all the time with so many of our students that uh, we've got, have come through here over the years that, that you can just see a, a real ch- challenges that they face. They don't face them often in, in the way that previous generations might have done who've been exposed to these things um, at a younger age and exposed in the right kind of way, as Andy said, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a loving act of, of Andy to give his six-year-old that thing. He's not being stupid or... or, or, or careless and he's actually being incredibly careful not to be risk averse in a way because you're recognizing that that's a huge thing the other irony by the way i mean this this opens up a whole other can of worms doesn't it well this is this is opens up another episode i think you know we're so we're risk averse when the children are born but we're happy to kill them in the womb um and we it's a ridiculous situation in our culture that we do that we do have this and I, I, don't, I know we can get very polemical people talking about abortion but i think some issues like that need to be spoken of as ludicrous as they are you know they need to be stated really really clearly and plainly like we are at the same time as being overly risk averse in one sense with the children we're also happy to kind of mm. stop them existing at all up to a certain point and arguing for that with all sorts of Various sort of um, excuses here and there, and, and it's a complex issue. And we'll get into it, I'm sure, in another episode. But I do think it points to yet another one of these ludicrous contradictions in our culture. Um, assuming that we really want to protect children, we, mm. we don't really want to protect children. That there's a society for the protection of unborn children, which demonstrates that uh, we're not all that good at, at protecting children, anyway. Yeah. I think there's, um, I think, as you say, we'll, we're we're going to do a whole other episode on the on the topic of uh, of abortion because I think there's a lot to be. Yeah. But the not least, I think it is, is going to be important to address the the issue that uh, you know tr- there's a there's a there's a moving culture to say what well, to say to the likes of us. Well, you you're three guys. How can you talk about it? it's a woman's issue? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's right. In the same way that you know around the time of abolition, it wouldn't be an acceptable argument for people to say to Wilberforce and their well, you know, this is a slave owner's issue. You don't own slaves, so you can't actually. <laughs> Talk about uh, yeah. this, um, but the other issue that I, th- I think, as you were talking, that I, I wonder feeds into some of this, and this is interesting because you know it's very <laughs> easy, isn't it, to talk about some of these issues in culture with a slight when the church were different um, kind of sort of tone, and I think I'm always intrigued. And one of the things we come back to a lot on part of the gaps is how actually the church, if we're not careful, has picked up a lot of the same trends as the, the culture. We don't actually look dissimilar, and the issue is this: that we are as a culture are increasingly focused on happiness and hedonism rather than we are on goodness and and character i mean my 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 wife telling me the conversation she was in it's been about a year or so ago where she was talking to a group of parents and and somebody had said oh i just want my child to be happy that's the most important thing in life the decisions i make want my child to be happy and my and my wife who's you know sort of fairly well attuned to this stuff astrid had spoken up and sort of caused a bit of consternation in this group of parents by going actually that's not what I'm aiming at. I don't want my kids mm. to be happy. I want my kids to be good. If mm. they get happiness as well, that's a bonus. Mm. What I want them to be is good, of good character. 
And that may end up in unhappiness because they may have to choose things that are other than self. Yeah. But I think that's more important. Yeah. And that was interesting. That that was quite she was quite stunned, I think, that she mm-hmm. got a bit of not not certainly negative reaction, but that people were surprised by that. But here's the problem: if that's what you're aiming at, if you're going to aim at happiness rather than character and resilience, mm-hmm. and I suppose things like anti-fragility would be yeah. another one. Jonathan Haidt, who um, yeah. Michael, I think, mentioned in Coddling the American Mind, talks about this very fragile culture we have. Then, yeah. then actually, I think we need to perhaps put happiness to, to to one side. You know, if you if you want to, you know, develop in a sport, for example, you want to, you know, become a really really good at rock climbing. You know, you might get happiness at the end, but there's actually going to be quite a lot of hard work and mm. some real risk mm. along the way. But if ultimately you've got it into your head that happiness is what it's all about and comfort and security and all those things that come with it, I think that is a very very greasy road um indeed quite frankly where that ends mm-hmm. is that go on michael you jump in no i was just gonna say a few things on that i mean just going back to to kind of children again one of the things that is kind of ironic is that if you want to avoid risk definitely don't have children because you know um bringing people into this world is an inherently risky thing to do i mean like think of all the risks that they ahead and yet we willingly do that you know mm. historically yeah. for yeah. the mother it would have been an inherent a very very risky thing yeah. to do um yeah. but actually we realize that life comes through through risk and i think there's something yeah. for the gospel in that um yeah. uh but but just thinking about risk in the church um a uh, couple of thoughts on that one came up when we were discussing um during kind of covid times about whether or not we could run a a youth activity and um of course, risk assessments during COVID just went through the roof because obviously, like, you know, I've done umpteen risk assessments and you kind of have to kind of talk about all the different possibilities of what could or couldn't happen. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking was this, as well as thinking about the risk of doing something, we should also have to think about the risk of not doing something yeah. because it so often comes to our minds, oh, we can't do that because of this risk. Yeah. And I think to flip it around and say, okay, well, if we don't do that, what's the other risk? So let's not do the youth camp this summer because, you know, there's a risk of spreading COVID. Okay, well, there is. Yeah, there is definitely a risk. Um, but what is the risk of not doing it? And actually, there could potentially be a far greater risk, you yeah. know, in terms of young people who don't hear the gospel, who would have heard the gospel, whose lives that have, could have been impacted that, that won't be and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing to, to pick up. And I think it does raise interesting questions about whether the level of risk we're prepared to take now is diminished in terms of Christian missions um, yes. A few years ago, I was set to go out with a colleague to Ukraine, uh, to Kiev, and it was just after the um, protests and the, the revolution in, in Kiev. And so the big question was, was it appropriate for us to go out and speak at this mission week? Mm-hmm. Literally about a week after there was like, like people being killed in, in the middle of, uh, of Kiev. And, and that was quite a big big challenge, actually. And I was just dead set. I said, look, I think there is a risk, but I think this is, you know, if I'm not prepared to go into this situation, which compared to what some missionaries have gone into is, is pretty low, mm-hmm. um, I just feel, you know, that that would be wrong. So so in the end, we did go. Um, and um, I was told that we shouldn't go to Maidan Square, which was where it was all happening. And then we discovered that our accommodation was right right on the side of Maidan Square. Um, and uh so I can tell some interesting stories about uh, gunshots going off at night and stuff, but but I won't. But I think a question of what level of risk, and I think, you know, now we've kind of gone to the opposite extreme where we just said, you know, if there's, if there's any risk, we'll just avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that's not how world missions have often no. developed. Exactly. I, I, there's so much to say off the back of that. <laughs> at, at the risk of, at the risk of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of speaking too much, 
I feel like I've got about like five points. I'll try and make, I'll try and make them. Well, you see, when point. we recorded this podcast, the previous two episodes, Mr. <sighs> Crack with us, we'll know that like episodes, I think the previous two to this were recorded mm. in person. And it was quite an education, wasn't it, Michael, for you and it I? Was. You know, when, when Aaron is recording a podcast, yes, he there's the phone with like six points or with like sub points. And like, there's my they're, like, they're not planned. A conversation. But Aaron's approaching it like a theology lecture. Which so more like on, I write, I, I, my mind is so scatterbrained. If I don't write some and the word down to jog me, then then I'll it's a risk forever. It's, it's a risk, risk exactly. <laughs> it's a risk that they'll be gone. Um, the endless puns abound. I've got my Bible open as well. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna go, go to a scripture in a few minutes. But but it's so, both of what you just said is so so uh, <coughs> important. So interesting, Andy, on the happiness thing. Um, um, you know, we 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 deal here at Cliff College. Regularly, we have, we have to do a session at the beginning of the year when new students come in, which I'm glad we started doing it, myself and a couple of colleagues. What does it mean to do theology in a confessional environment? And we do a panel and I, and I feel I kind of feel questions so that people are aware because we know where they're coming from. They're coming from the culture where however, wherever it's coming from, that, that there'll be some things about our safetyist culture, which will be in them. They were looking for this place to be a safe space. And we have to provide to some extent a safe space. We also have to say the language of safe space isn't really the right language for doing theology because you're going to have your views changed, you're going to be challenged, and you're going to be upset by that sometimes because you have to rethink some foundations or have them or, or need to come up with better defences for them. So it's not always about changing your mind, but it's sometimes about, oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. How do I, how do I kind of defend where I've come from other than just saying this is what I've always thought? And so we want to be able to say, like the kind of C.S. Lewis thing with Aslan, you know, Aslan, he's not safe, but he's good. So like what you're saying, Andy, it's not about happiness or perfect or my emotions being perfectly satisfied at any given moment. It's about um, engaging in the good. And what does that mean? It might mean sending you into mission, I say, Michael. It might mean sending you to a difficult place or difficult conversation, which is not always going to feel good. And I think we've, we've abandoned that because we've sort of given in to this sort of risk averseness. And on Michael's point, Goodness, yeah, there's so much to say on the mission thing, especially the what you say about the what are what what will we miss out on if we don't do this? Nobody, there's no risk assessment, there's no kind of bureaucratic measure to say you're not doing enough advance, you're not doing enough creative stuff, you're not doing enough stuff outside the box. But there's no form that comes and tells you off for not doing that. That what there is is there's forms that tell you off for doing something risky that could cause something worse to happen. There's nothing that comes and says if you don't do this you'll have inertia and your denomination will just drift into obscurity or it will it'll stop doing mission. You think you look at the, some of the great denominations of mission or, or great sort of movements of mission who, that become monuments that, that just end up talking about how they did things in the past and they don't live in, in the present um, taking those risks. So it's a huge, huge problem. There was that uh, book by John Piper, who's obviously been a big advocate for overseas missions, Risk is Right. And if any of you have read that, where he's speaking about this issue um, particularly and he's often saying i'm not i'm not summoning the world the church to having a painful life christians aren't supposed to have a, a, a sort of a joyless life sorry but to a painful life you are going to experience pain but you will have joy in the midst of it that's what the christian life is you can't just run away from that um and the, the last couple of things uh, before i finish this sermon um uh, for you both <laughs> <laughs> the risk of I, I thought of the game risk andy you know we just mentioned talking about the game risk i had lovely memories of playing risk uh and i, have, I haven't for a while i started teaching my children that it's just I, I have to impose lots of sort of you know handicaps on myself to make it slightly interesting otherwise i will just just you know do, global domination happens a little bit too quickly um but there was always a thing when you play with loads of people who know how to play 
Well, listeners, forgive us if you haven't actually ever played Risk, but it's a fun game to play. You can always take care of your own affairs and build up your own sort of part of the board. And you you could sort of ignore what's going on over here and think, oh, it doesn't really matter if they're strengthening and getting loads of men. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'll let them keep getting loads of men, but it doesn't affect me right now. Well, it will affect you in the end. So you have to take those measures. It's a bit like the whole appeasement thing with uh, before in before the Second World War in the 1930s, the appeasement policy of the British government. Let's let Hitler do his thing. Uh, you've got Churchill and his kind of troublesome um, group of backbenchers at the time going, no, you can't do that. You can't. Britain can't stay just Britain in its peaceful isolation um, if you let Hitler carry, carry on expanding, it's going to get worse and worse. And eventually they, they realised almost too, almost too late, not quite too late, and that they couldn't do that anymore. So the isolation from risk is not really possible. It's actually exactly as you say, Michael, You you it's risky uh, to, to not do that. You miss out on so much um, more. Um, I'll, I'll save my scripture for later on. Andy can save your scripture for later. I was going to link into the other thing that as you talked there that I think was 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 interesting um i was all interesting i mean everything you say is is obviously is it, <laughs> some bits more interesting than others um the game thing is interesting you you're, you're talking about you know putting limits on yourself it's funny actually we had to take risk out of the out of the game we played with our with our kids because our that my certainly my, my 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 younger one is is learning to lose are you doing all right but you suddenly realize that risk of course there's a whole series of losing because you do <laughs> battle after battle after battle it was one thing to lose a an overall game but to keep losing with stuff but here's the thing <laughs> One of the lessons we are trying to teach to our, our kids is, you know, there are some games right now, if they play like Astrid and I, unless we handicap ourselves, they they are going to lose. Like Draft is a good example. My, my daughter quite likes that game, but struggles with the fact that she is going to lose. And to go, now, of course, I could play really nicely. But I remember when I was a kid, actually, and I was learning chess, I used to get really cross to my father when he would deliberately throw the game, because I would know. Uh, and I remember saying, I don't, you know, saying to him when I was like eight or nine, I don't want to, I don't want to win because you've done so. I want to win because I've been him. And I remember the first time when I got to start 10 or 11, I could beat my dad. I was so excited mm-hmm. because I knew I was doing it. Yeah. Properly. And there's something about how do we teach kids, be it a board game, whatever, to go, there's going to be a risk. You know, yeah, if you play mum and dad at the moment, you're going to get creamed. But mm-hmm. one day you won't. But the only way to get to that one day is through growing your way up. And there's something about the discipleship here, I think, isn't there, of going, you know, I'm very grateful when I was a young Christian, that I had, you know, leaders and others around me who encouraged me to take risks. I remember at 18 going off and doing a gap year working for a church in the Northeast, hundreds of miles from home, four other young people. I mean, an insane well, risk for me and also arguably a risk for the church of bringing in four complete, you know, greenhorns to come and do all kinds of stuff. But I'm really grateful. Um, mm-hmm. Very grateful when I first went into full-time apologetic ministry that, that, that those who hired me were like, you know what, you're young and inexperienced, but we see something. Um and so I think in terms of discipleship, there's a risk yeah. piece. And you could say theologically, um, there's a risk, isn't there, with, uh, with, with, with God. God took a risk on us in one sense, um, which I think is quite exciting. I mean, yes, you've got providence and, you know, that nothing is a surprise to the Lord. But still, the incarnation and, and, Christian, you know, and what God did in Christ is, is, is a risk. I, I think it's interesting that God didn't stay, just play the safe game of going, you know, I'll condemn them all. We'll just pluck out a few and let the rest burn. But actually mm. the incarnation was incredibly, yeah. in one sense, risky. It was a theological risk assessment. Mm. Um, but look what happened. And so I'm grateful we've got a God who was willing to, you know, as it were, take a risk on us. Mm. Um, Amen. And in a sense, you could go beyond that, couldn't we? We're not, we're not just talking about, you know, 
God, God didn't come into this world at the risk of his life. He knew it would be at the cost of his life. Yeah, it, it yeah. was not. It was not kind of like 50-50. I may die or I may not. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew yeah. that was going to be the cost, and he still said it was worth it. And I think that's where we need to say that even if we knew that the worst was going to happen, could we say actually there are some things worth doing, even though they could be costly? I mean, yeah. that, that's. I, I, I can only think that's the kind of you know the sum that people like Jim Elliott and you know his missionary friends must have come to to say actually what what drives people to go to that length of risk to take the gospel to to a tribe like that so actually it's the reality that says yeah we could we could face this is worst case scenario and it is still worth it mm-hmm. and I guess that's the question isn't it is it worth it and the yes. gospel says it is and partly that's because we know that death isn't the end yeah. and we live in a culture that's you know it's a whole other podcast that we could do um but but actually if death is the end of everything then you become incredibly risk averse because like you want to avoid it at all costs. Um, death is a horrific thing. It's an alien invader in God's good world. And yet it's not the worst thing. Um, as Christians, we know there's something worse than, than physical death. And, and therefore that re-evaluates the way we look at the situation in light of that. Yeah, just on, just on Jim Elliott, sorry, very quickly. I love yeah. that that quote from, from Jim, quite well known, but not everyone listening may, may know it. You know, I think it was Jim who wrote in his journal oh, yeah. before he died. You know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mm, yeah. um, and I think there's very much something mm. in in that perspective underlying all of this. But sorry, Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, no, oh no, but yeah, absolutely, listeners. If you haven't read Jim Elliott's mm. journal, if you want to think about what 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 someone's a man to go and do that you can see the kind of thing he did and with his friends you can see the kind of written up by his wife you know or edited and published later by elizabeth elliott amazing uh, to, to sort of see what he's reflecting on that leads him to that decision um to go there which many missionaries as michael mentioned many missionaries have done that they've often gone at the cost of their life and they've just thought this is what this is what it means to be a christian isn't it like and we, we've just forgotten that in the west i, I was speaking at a, a um, gathering of the congregational federation um a denomination in the uk a gathering of some of their leaders and, and people in, in their churches about what it means to be the church after COVID. And a lot of them are dealing with issues of of, um, of risk aversion. And I was just trying to challenge them, encourage them, look, you belong to an incredible <laughs> cloud of witnesses of people who you're only here, you know, in this church, in this building here, it looks nice and comfortable now, but it's because you're standing on the shoulders of so many people who've risked their lives. Uh, for how, how on earth is the gospel here in this country, in Britain? It's because people risk their lives to take it here um, in various ways and, and continually do so. And we and Christians in this generation will continually take risks in order to do that. And, and interestingly, if you think of, you know, Google, if you Google um, what, what risk is as a definition, it will be usually be something like exposure to harm or, or danger or loss in some way. So it isn't, just that you're saying I'm calculating whether or not this is a good idea and the out- I can guarantee the outcome. We often talk about risk management like that. How can I do something? I'll take a risk, but it's a, a calculated risk so that nothing will go wrong. Actually, you have to say it will expose you to danger, harm or loss or something or, or the cost of your life. And that, that's just part of what it is. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it, you know, when Jesus says, you know, to, to find your life, you will lose it and to lose your life, you find it. Um, it's, there's so much in the New Testament that we've forgotten in our comfortable Western church, which many of our brothers and sisters from around the world um, have much to teach us about, which is why I often am so delighted to have reverse missionaries who come to the West and, and teach us a thing or two about what it means to, to live radically. And, and for them, it's not even radical. It's not even kind of extreme or crazy. They're just like, this is 
Christianity, isn't it? Like, isn't this what it's always been about? And this is well, just to bring me to my scripture. I was just thinking about as you talking um, earlier, um, both of you really. I've always been so struck by this in Hebrews 10. Of course, Hebrews 11 is that incredible chapter about um, that the kind of heroes of faith that we, that we stand on, the ones who are sawn in two and all this ama- amazing and the stories of people who've gone to the depths. But even uh, this is a, a particularly helpful one for Westerners, I think, because it has stuff about personal property. Just before that in Hebrews 10 from verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Um, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And finally, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed of those who have faith and preserve their souls and i do think the church in this moment is in a place of shrinking back it has been and, and we are in desperate need of recovering that confidence in the gospel which is that kind of confidence which can take death on which can take challenge and risk on and i think we do need leaders to think what are we actually about what are we here for and what has god put us on this earth to do and that's what that's what mission is it's saying mm-hmm. taking that on board and saying i'm going to take risks because it's worth it mm-hmm. it's interesting you mentioned hebrews uh, the sermon um on sunday was on hebrews 11 and it was just kind of occurred to me as we were going through Hebrews 11, obviously, you know, the, the beginning just sounds so victorious and wonderful, you know, they're conquering kingdoms and everything else. And then it just kind of <laughs> segues into getting sawn in two and everything. And you're thinking like, well, where did that come from? Um, but actually, it's it's something we've talked about before, isn't it? But actually, the pattern of the gospel and the kingdom of God is it's victory through defeat. Mm. So that's the pattern of the cross, isn't it? Mm. It's through the defeat of the cross um, that, that actually the victory of God comes. And actually, it's through, in a sense, our defeats um, that often victory comes. So, so one of the implications of Jim Elliot's martyrdom, of course, was this incredible, incredible um, movement of God right around the world and people feeling this call to missions. Mm-hmm. So here were five young men whose lives were lost. And yet um, the result of that was literally thousands of people mm-hmm. who stepped up to take the gospel. And in the process as well you know the tribe came to know christ so so it's in in the loss so so actually we say you know it's we might lose this but actually it's what may we gain through what we lose is something we need to also um, factor in not saying wouldn't it be terrible if that happened but even if that did happen maybe that is one of the means that god will use Mm. to bring about his purposes i think that's um that's absolutely right and also i think it's um it's a good place to draw things Mm. to a close uh, actually so um thanks as ever uh gents for your uh your contribution lots to think about there i hope we've given you uh lots to think about at home or in the car as you're you're, you're, you're listening uh to this as ever this has been part of the gaps and i hope you enjoy the show again if you uh, love what we do and enjoy it please do consider getting behind and supporting us there are very few things that are no risk in life but supporting part of the gaps <laughs> is pretty low risk we can guarantee bad puns uh, you know, uh, groaning in uh, inducing intros, but also I think hopefully some intelligent, thoughtful conversation that gives you uh, food for thought. So again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you uh, next time on another episode of Part of the Gaps. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.